Jazz trumpeter Dizzy Gillespie recorded Moon River and Chelsea Bridge and so many other tunes. But we're interested right now in the Jerome Kern standard, All the Things You Are. Poets love to play with words and images, and we do too. And we'll get back to Gillespie in a bit. But we're about to talk with award-winning poet Jerry Wemple about his newest collection in which he explores the whole question of identity, his very own personal identity, but also in choosing as he does to use the pronoun you throughout his poems, drawing us into the exploration, too. And so, what then of the title of this tune, All the Things You Are? Soon, Wemple will read for us one of the last poems in the new book. The piece is titled Perhaps I Am, and he sifts through some of the possibilities, all that may have filtered through to him from his ancestors, contributing to all the things he is. There's a footnote here about Dizzy Gillespie, who was born just over a hundred years ago this month in a small town in South Carolina, where as it happens, Jerry Wimple discovered much more of who he is. We know, too, that a good part of his identity is rooted right here in northeastern and central Pennsylvania, where he is a professor in the English department at Bloomsburg University. One of his recent collections is titled The Artemis Poems, and we had a chance to speak with him by phone about his newest, titled We Always Wondered What Became of You, just issued by Broadstone Books. First things first. I've been actually writing poems since I remember getting a poem published in the school newspaper at St. Joseph's School in Danville when I was in first grade. So I've always been interested in in writing poetry, and, and I'm always playing around with different forms. And this particular form of the prose poem, where the language is still compact, you're not relying so much on the form and, and rhyme scheme or any particular set form, but you're really relying on the density and the energy that that density builds up. And that's what I thought would lend itself, that form would lend itself to the material that I wanted to cover. And you have been exploring this place, this corner of the world, which is so much part of your life, even though we read about Florida here and sense of place. In fact, you co-edited with Marjorie Maddox a volume titled Commonwealth, Contemporary Poets on Pennsylvania. In telling these stories, you have a keen sense of creating place. Those of us who live here would surely say, the details are so right. This is where we come from. Um, no, it's just something I've always loved Pennsylvania. I remember when I was a little kid and living outside of Danville and looking up Pennsylvania in the old Compton's Encyclopedia. So that kind of dates me there, that we had an encyclopedia in the house. And, and looking at a picture of the confluence of the Susquehanna River at Sunbury and just always being interested in, in this landscape. Because Pennsylvania, to me, is fascinating, and it still is. I obviously teach a lot of students from Pennsylvania, and I talk about how there's not one Pennsylvania. There's many Pennsylvanias. 
You can just go over a mountain or drive, you know, 30 miles, and you can be in a completely different environment. And I find that fascinating, you know, the way people speak and who settled there and why and what the industry is or what the industry in some cases had been. All that is, is kind of interesting. And then there's just beautiful landscape. You, know, you can go, like there's really cool stuff in Philly, and I enjoy going to, to cities. But then, you know, you can go out in the countryside and go up to Sullivan County and just take a nice walk at one of the state parks and, and really like the, the waterfalls or whatever, and, and it's a whole different experience. So I, I don't know. I just always liked Pennsylvania. And you mentioned Florida. The whole time I lived in Florida, which was almost seven years, I always felt, even as a kid, that I was in exile, that I was um, not in the place I needed to be. And maps, too, Jerry. Maps are important symbolically, of course, finding one's way in life or geographically. How do we get from Danville to Sullivan County? What's the easiest way? That sort of thing, literally. But also, you have a sense of maps, don't you, as metaphorical ways that we try to make sense of this landscape wherever we are. Yeah, I think maps are a good way of ordering our world, right? We can see the way the mountains curve throughout, like the the Ridge and Valley section of Pennsylvania, and how that impacts our behaviors, how we don't go to a certain place because it's a little hard to get there, or how um, there may be a town not that far away as the crow flies, but kind of far away because of a mountain or a river. One of the things that catches our eye right away when we see this collection is the illustration on the front cover. And we may not recognize what it is. We look at it and it seems institutional and there may be some crosses on the roof and lots of windows. And it's critical for you because it was the start of everything for you. Tell us about the illustration and how it relates to what you're doing in the book. Yeah, the illustration is actually based on an old postcard that I found from the 50s, which so it predates my time there a little bit. And it was done by a friend of mine, Chris Budd. Uh, we've been friends since high school, and he's a great artist. Uh, his wife actually did the painting for my previous collection, and, and Chris drew this one. But it's the, the former St. Joseph's Orphanage, which is now called St. Joseph's Center, and there's that uh, fundraiser for it every summer with Joe Snedeker rides his bike and, and raises lots of money for that uh, institution, which now serves, uh, I can think, primarily handicapped children and adults. But before that, its previous history was as an orphanage, and they had a maternity wing, and that is where I was born and where I stayed for probably a little less than half a year before I was adopted out of there. And Jerry, you have been able to do what many people want to do, and that is ask the questions about why and where and who you are as a result of learning that you were adopted. But your story is quite remarkable in the way you find your identity. And don't we know these days finding our identity, particularly in groups, this isn't the first time you've explored those questions, is it? No. In a way, I think it's the issue of identity because of my background has always been you know, something that's in the forefront of my consciousness, and it's something I have written about in my uh, first book going back, well, now probably 25 years. <laughs> you know, one of the central 
poems was a long poem called Susquehanna Song, and I'm using the river as a metaphor and the two branches of the river as a metaphor to try to figure out this idea of, of identity, a personal identity. But with this one, there were a couple of things that happened. One was a few years ago, maybe about five years ago now, I was finally able to get a DNA match because I didn't know the identity of my birth father and my biological mother would never tell me, and I I knew who she was. So I did the saliva in a tube and sent it off, and after a while, it took a while, maybe two years, I got a match with somebody who came up as a cousin, and I started corresponding and figured out that her uncle was my father, and I was able to connect with that family. And so that was really what kind of led to a lot of, of other discoveries, including tracing lineage of my family on both sides, my father and mother's sides uh, way back, and, and trying to figure out more stuff and, and meeting people from my father's family. My father had passed away years before, but I met several uh, relatives from his family, and then COVID happened, and I, I've been in touch with them electronically, but we haven't really gotten together as much uh, because, obviously, COVID curtailed a lot of face-to-face stuff. This is just a snatch taken out of context, but here's a line that you write, tawny skin and black curled hair, a bafflement in this river and woods wilderness. Often you'd catch one of the attendants staring at you, and you'd think he was trying to look into you to decipher your story. So you're always being assessed, right? And people are always asking, who is that? Yeah, I think, and we have to go back to, you know, I'm over 60 now, and so if we jump back decades, the area was a lot less diverse than it is now. And so I stood out even a bit more. So that was always something that I always had to think about, I guess. One of my friends was recently telling me, oh, yeah, I, you know, I just think of you as a colleague, but, but every once in a while I'm reading your book, and I'm like, oh, yeah, he has to deal with this. Oh, yeah, he had to deal with that. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, so it was like people forget. Oh, if, if, you don't, if you don't have to deal with it, you forget that others do. What about the book's title? We always wondered what became of you. You just told us about discovering and reconnecting with that side of the family, and is that where you drew the title yeah, we, I was corresponding with some relatives that I found through DNA, and there was going to be that summer a uh, family reunion. It turns out it's a small town in South Carolina, which is home of Dizzy Gillespie, right, the jazz player, jazz trumpeter, and there's a statue of him downtown and everything. So my uh, children, I have a son and daughter who are both in their 20s now, and they said, oh, yeah, we want to go along with you. We want to meet these folks. So we all drove down to South Carolina, and an elderly aunt, there's not a lot of my father's generation left. He was one of, I believe, 11 children, and many of them are, are now gone, but there were still a couple left, and the aunt that I met, uh, who I had spoken to on the phone, came up to me and said, we always wondered what became of you. And she was telling me that my father knew about me, but uh, because of the times, because he was a black man, you know, he just wasn't able to lay any claim or keep any connection with me. And he really was kind of cut out of the scene. And, and times were much, much different then. And so he never knew what became of me, but he you know, told his, his some of his family members, including this aunt, and from time to time, I guess, would think, oh, I wonder what happened to Art's kid. 
And you have a poem of that title as well. And the opposite page, you have a poem, My Father is a Ghost on the Internet. And ghost is a word that appears throughout the story. And does that have to do with feeling like you haven't taken a shape or don't have an identity or he doesn't? I think I'm using ghosts as, you know, in some ways about the things that haunt us. And this, you know, the things that we can't, yeah, that we can't quite put our finger on, and that seem this this presence that is maybe that we just can't quite grasp. And they could be in the present, and they can also be from the past. And uh, one of the poems I have towards the end of the book, I'm trying to figure out why do we feel certain ways, why do we prefer certain things, or we fear certain things. Is this a remnant of the past? Is this is there this kind of collective unconscious, you know, that's coming down and and we inherit because they're because we're now just kind of learning about DNA and in 50 years what will we learn about things that we inherit and traits that have been passed down to us and I, I find that intriguing and so I was kind of writing a poem that hinted at that in another play on ghosts like these ghosts that are within us as well. And also the role of the church. You were born in St. Joseph's, and you were raised as a young Roman Catholic lad, and you were given the chance to become an altar boy. Yeah, I, especially in my young life, you know, the church was just central to, to me because, obviously, I, from birth, I was in this institution, the institution of the church and the institution run by the church. And... You know, I went to Catholic school for several years. I remember at St. Michael's in Sunbury, we went to Mass every morning and before church, and then the first class was religion class. And then I moved to Florida for a few years, but I became an altar boy. And I really, I think the ritual of the Mass became ingrained in me. And I once did a panel presentation on on how the the liturgy and just the the rhythm of the Mass, I think, influences the way I write. So it just is, you know, although I don't attend Mass and don't practice as a Catholic any longer, it's still there. It's still because it was just something so ingrained at such a young age and just over and over again that it's, it's just embedded in me. And we talked with you in previous conversations, Jerry, about the image of the bridge and the symbolism of the bridge in Sunbury. I mean, the bridge is always, it can represent a a passage from one place to another. It can also represent, you know, kind of a, a danger, right? That um, I there's a, a poem in this collection where the narrator is going across the bridge and it's a foggy night and then he hears footsteps coming, right? And he can't really make out who is, you know, and so there's this potential danger, who is coming and what is their intent and what's going on? And then you find out, oh, it's just kids who are probably smoking marijuana and wondering what the heck this other person is doing out there. You know, so uh, bridges are always, they're passageways. And, and if you go off the bridge, you're, you're kind of in trouble, right? So especially on the Susquehanna. So, you know, I, I find them kind of places of, of ways to travel between one place and another. And, you know, like the Simon and Garfunkel song, Bridge Over Troubled Waters, right? There's sometimes you want to avoid those troubled waters. You mentioned being 60 and the notion of getting older. You don't avoid thoughts of mortality. No, I mean, 
you know, hopefully I'm <laughs> I got a while left, but but I think you know as especially as a father, I I sort of I misled you because I'm remembering now, oh yeah, my son this Friday will turn 31. He's no longer in his 20s, uh, and he hadn't been for a year. Yeah, so watching your own children grow and and your friends, I just, you know, went to a, a high school reunion that was uh, like, wow, how did that number get that high? <laughs> and so you're, you're, you know, you're reminded of, of that, and, and I think about the people I knew when I grew up, and I thought they were old, and I'm thinking, well, now I'm older than they ever were. But I'm I'm also fascinated about the generations past. Like I can remember my great grandfather who was born in the 1800s in the 1880s, and thinking, wow, well, and he died in the in the early 60s, and I think of all the things that he witnessed, and then I think, well, what all about all the things that I witnessed? You know, that when I was a kid, we made it to the moon, and now they're like how cell phones have changed everything. And, and, I, and I think, well, if my kids have kids, what will their grandchildren experience? So it's, even though I'm getting older, I'm thinking about, you know, how does this fit in? Where, where's, what's going on in the world? And always trying to figure out my place in it. But really in relation to there's this whole web, and I'm just a little, just a little point in all these intersections. And you also, speaking about Webb, you choose the epigraph from Whitman, for every atom belonging to me as good belongs to you. So you want us to keep that line in mind as we enter the worlds you're exploring. Yeah, uh, obviously you, you, you noticed um, that most of the poems are second person, and it's, it's always you doing this. I'm, I'm, I'm taking the reader along, with this, so like Whitman and trying to create this uh, new American poetry and saying we are we are one people and you know, and reaching out to everybody. This, even though as you point out, is some of the things are very specific, but it's always you doing it. It's the the second person you. So you know, I'm trying to pull the reader into it, trying to pull the reader along to experience these things that obviously. They haven't experienced, but maybe they can experience through these words. Jerry, you have the book before you. Would you read us some? Sure. Um, actually, I talked a little bit about this poem because it's one that stands alone called Perhaps I Am. It's toward the end of the book, and it's the one where I'm trying to think about things that influence us. Perhaps I am a ghost haunted by remnants tumbling through time, the heft of ancestors, antecedents, and causations falls on me. When I was young, it came to me that I once stood on a northern island of the Hebrides, and the wind was harsh, and the air was cold, and the water was a vast gray invitation. When I was a child, once they bade me to enter a closed dark space, a curiosity tour, a leftover munitions storage cellar dug 200 years before. And I knew that this was no good, that long ago some element of me was pressed into a dank shadow for so long it was an eternity. It presses me still. These ethereal remnants, they warn and inform murder ballads that traveled long and years and transformed now sing lonesome and quiet 
joyful and sure. They let me know they are still here. There are factors I know without knowing why. I know the swamp snake is the devil because he will take a life, and Mary is the mother when you allow it. I know that mountains can be overcome little by little, and rivers waited when the time is right, that there are voices and feelings, remnants that lived once that can live again. Thanks, Jerry. As you say, this is a poem where you're musing about those real human questions. And then on the next page, it's luxury, an epilogue. And we're right there with May in the corner store, with the lighted Hershey's ice cream sign and the Stroman's bread push bar tacked to the wood-framed screen door. Specifics evoking a time and a real place. That's an interesting juxtaposition. Well, I think they're both ending poems, right? They're kind of, one is more internal reflection, the perhaps I am thinking about, well, what is it? Because the previous poems, I've talked about my ancestors, which include members of the Schultz family dating back to the 1700s, coming to Pennsylvania and, and, and Montour County, you know, and researching them. And then another African-American ancestor who's uh, in the 1700s, his uh, census is listed as a free mulatto and somehow remained free throughout his 80-year life and seems to have done well and owned a, a mill or a store and, because there's a ledger where, that I was able to find of his estate. So I'm thinking, well, what is it that I took from all these people that I've been tracing my ancestry through? And, you know, and that's what that poem is about. But the other one is just kind of like an outward reflection, a memory. Like, yeah, I remember when I was a little kid sitting there with my great-grandfather and thinking about all the stuff and just being able to touch that past life through memory and saying, yeah, that's a luxury to be able to do that, to be able to connect to that. And so one is more internal and one is, and they're both internal, I guess, in some way, but one is like remembering just that you're connected to a long line of people. And where can we hear you read more, Jerry? So on the 20th, I will be in downtown Bloomsburg at Endless Records, which has lots of books, too. But they're at 111 uh, West Main Street, just kind of a little bit west of the fountains in downtown Bloomsburg at 5 o'clock. And I'll do a reading there, and they'll have some books for sale. And I think they'll continue to stock some books. So if you miss that, you could stop by if you're in the Bloomsburg area. And then I have some other readings coming up later on. I know in January I'm going to be at Wilkes, and I'm going to read at in February at the uh, Pages on Stages up in Scranton. So there's a couple, and I'm trying to line up a few more things, but folks could go to my website, which is just jwemple.com. I'm going to start listing various appearances and readings and so forth. Poet Jerry Wemple, professor of English at the Commonwealth University of Pennsylvania Bloomsburg campus, speaking with us about his newest collection titled We Always Wondered What Became of You, issued by Broadstone Books. Jerry will read from this book this Friday, October 20th at 5 in the afternoon at Endless Records in Bloomsburg, 111 West Main Street, downtown Bloomsburg, this Friday at 5, Endless Records. 
And he'll be part of an online reading that's hosted by his press, Broadstone Books, and that's Saturday, October 28th at 4. There will be two other readers. The event is open to everyone, but you just need to register so you can get the Zoom link, and that would be broadstonebooks.com slash new, broadstonebooks.com slash new. It's We Always Wondered What Became of You, issued by Broadstone Books, featuring the newest work by poet Jerry Wemple. And you can find out more about Jerry Wemple at his website, jwemple.com, J-W-E-M-P-L-E, jwemple.com. <laughs>